Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Everyone, welcome to the new episode of the Shah Hero Nightlife. So, Eid Adha in Singapore, at least, I think we call it Hari Raya Haji. Or is it regional? I don't know. Okay, maybe we can ask Ustaz Saifur Rahman later whether it's regional or not. Okay, but the uh, main thing is, you know, I always have this question why do Muslims have two Hari Raya? It's like when I was a non Muslim, right? Before I became a Muslim, I always wonder why they can have two New Year like that. So good one. Like Chinese only got one Chinese New Year. You all got two Chinese New Year. Like. <laughs> you all got two New Year. So happening one. <laughs> okay. So uh, the, there's a, probably somewhere a, a gap of this knowledge where I did not have before. So inshallah, tonight, Saifu Rahman can share with us more about what is this Hari Raya. Why is it so special? What's the significance of it? Its purpose and everything. So without much further ado, let me bring uh, Saifu Rahman to the show. But before we carry on, I just want to introduce also the other panelists. Uh. Okay. If you're not, you don't know who they yeah, maybe you're new to this episode, right? Firstly, on the top right, you have Brother Skandar. He's from the Netherlands. I bring him to the front now, for you can see in front, forefront, okay? And we also have Sister Reezy. She's all the way from Toronto, Canada. So nice of you to join us. It's actually 10.30 in the morning there, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and uh, you have also our long-awaited guest, Brother Elias from Singapore. And it's been a long time since we see you. Are you doing well, Brother Elias? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Hi, guys. Alhamdulillah. Um, good to have you back, Brother Elias. <coughs> yeah, inshallah, we can see more of you, okay? When you have time, inshallah. So now we'll bring back uh, Saifur Rahman again. Okay, Saifur Rahman, please share with us more about Eid Adha. Okay, so Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. First and foremost, I want to wish all Muslims a happy Zulhijjah. We have just come into the, this blessed month of Zulhijjah, yesterday night or tonight, depending on where you're from. The question that Brother Fidaus asked me, how come there are two main festivals in Islam? So the first one we all know, this is what we call the Idol Fitr. And this is celebrated at the conclusion of the month of Ramadan after the fasting month. And let me ask you, how long literally this Idol Fitr is supposed to be celebrated? Fitr is only one day, is it? How how come you how come you know it's one day? Because in <laughs> the, the in the Muslim world, in this part of the world, not the Toronto or Netherlands, we call it Hari Raya Puasa. Hari Raya is the day of celebration. Puasa is fasting. So at the end of the fasting month, and usually by culture, by tradition, we celebrate how long? Culture tradition, like at least one month. Uh. One it month. Because like one month. Uh. <laughs> the idea is, I fast. I fast one month. I deserve one month of celebration. Uh. Two, two days, right? <laughs> but it is technically it's actually just one day, and you will see this evidence, especially if you go beyond the Malay, the Malay world, uh, you see that actually Haraya or Eid al-Fitr is celebrated just that one day. Okay, Because where the fasting, the station of the Quran, the acts of restraint and forming of new habits bring us back to the state of Fitrah. Fitrah is our natural disposition and so Eid al-Fitr is the day to celebrate our Fitrah. The day that we come back to how we're supposed to behave, how we're supposed to worship Allah, how frequent, that sort of thing as being trained in the month of Ramadan. Unfortunately, what's the unfortunate part about Haraya or Idul Fitr. After we, we finish 30 days of fasting, we control our food, our drinks, our sleep, we pray much, we read the Quran much. The first day of Shawwal, what happens? Everything we... goes to wire again. <laughs> All went back to square one. You know, in, in fasting month, we eat maybe just one small bowl of rice for iftar, for example. In Haraya, if we go to 10 houses, we have 10 lontong, we have 10 ketupat, we have rendang, we have fried chicken, we have huetat and everything else. So it kind of like immediately the day after we train ourselves, we go back to what it was before. So and that's why every year we have to repeat this in order for us to inculcate these values so that we follow through. If let's say we used to wake up for Tahajjud, Kiamulal in the last 10 nights of Ramadan, these are the practices that we should sustain. So that's Idul Fitr, the first kind of celebration or festival. The second festival is coming soon, within 9 or 10 days depending on where you live and it's called Eid Adha. Later I will describe to you what does Eid Adha means but generally it's a celebration of sacrifices. You can look at it from many points of view. Number one, sacrifice or liberation of the hujjaj, those who perform the hajj for being forgiven of their past sins by Allah. And also for those who have not gone, the sacrifice of and the distribution of meat that they have performed this year for those who cannot perform the hajj, right? We can also partake in that in, in this way. So this celebration actually lasts longer than the main celebration. This is supposed to be Eid al-Adha 
one day and including three days of tashrik. So four days of celebration of this Eid. So first day is the Idal Hai itself. The three days we are forbidden to fast because it is the day of tashrik in which literally the hujaj performing hajj will be throwing pebbles at the three jamras, Jamratul Aqaba, Jamratul Wusta and Jamratul Ula in commemoration of the story of Nabi Ibrahim and Nabi Ismail which we'll talk about again in the end of the uh, somewhere later on in this course. So that is the month of Zulhijjah and in this celebration preparing for Idul Adha. Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> now are you, are you jealous that we have two now that you're Muslim? <laughs> I'm a Muslim. Ah. Happy, yeah, happy yeah. Alhamdulillah. Happy holiday, Alhamdulillah. Holiday. <laughs> <laughs> but for our dear friends in Amsterdam and in Canada, they don't get a holiday. No, no, not yeah, at all. We only get, yeah. no, only with Christian holidays. Yeah. Right. I remember when I was in the US, when everybody is celebrating Idol Fitri in Singapore or in other parts of the world, I had to go for class and I celebrated in the library and my friend looked at me, you know, a, Sing a Singaporean friend who knew about the Eid, he said, hey, isn't today Eid? He said, yeah, what are you doing here? Well, class goes on life goes on as per normal nobody celebrates it here so here i am in the library crying <laughs> you know thinking of all the food that they're having at home in back in singapore and here i am in the u.s and i, I had my coffee from the library so <laughs> uh, yeah but it's better if you have family here right ah, if you have family i suppose yeah. then you know you can celebrate as a family yeah exactly. but i was all alone <laughs> and as for fasting um yeah. is there like a certain like time you're supposed to fast during like the second eid as opposed to like the first one because some people say you're supposed to mm. fast sometimes for or like I'm not sure for like but you just said like there's no fasting so like that's what before right yeah okay that's that's a good question because it's sort of like give me a segue into talking about this blessed month this month is Zulhijjah it is the 12th and the final month in the Islamic calendar it is an important month because Hajj or pilgrimage and the festival of sacrifice takes place within this month as such Zulhijjah literally means possessor of the pilgrimage or the month of pilgrimage which during this month Muslims will congregate around Masjid Haram perform this act the Hajj perform on the 8th and 9th and 10th of this month and the day of Arafah which we should fast encourage to fast is on the 9th and Al-Adha is on the 10th day forbidden to fast and forbidden to fast 11, 12, 13 as well so 10 to 13th of Zulhijjah we are, we are not supposed to fast so therefore the month of Zulhijjah is a month of increased spirituality our hearts and prayers are with those who are undertaking the Hajj during these trying days especially the pandemic while many of us are unable to make this blessed journey due to this condition there are still many ways for us to reap the blessings of this month okay and one in which we say just mentioned earlier on the fasting which i will go through soon so the first 10 days of zulhijjah starting from some of us yesterday most of us today are often referred to as the best 10 days of the year okay the prophet said and recorded inside bukhari he says there are no days on which righteous deeds are more beloved to allah than these 10 days so it's really an amazing and suratul fajr chapter 89 verses 1 to 2 which allah says wal fajr ashur, which means by the dawn and by the 10 nights and scholars of tafsir have concluded that these 10 nights referred to in this verse refers to the first 10 days of Zulhijjah. Okay, so mm. this is particularly important as we have started to feel more detached spiritually since Ramadan, especially we have forgotten how to wake up in the morning for Tahajjud. We have not read the Quran as much as we did in during the last 10 days. And that sort, that sort of things that was supposed to mend as a habit that we continue and perpetuate beyond Ramadan, we have kind of detached a little bit. So this believer 10 days offer us another chance to gain immense rewards, have our sins forgiven and reach great levels of piety, inshallah. So let's come back to the question that we see asked, what can we do in these 10 days? So the first and foremost I would recommend would be fasting, okay? So fasting is one of the best acts of worship except on the day of Eid itself. Therefore, fasting on the 9 days of Zulhijjah is highly encouraged as the Prophet said in Hadith, in Sahih Bukhari, he said, there are no days on which righteous deeds are more beloved to Allah than these 10 days. And then the companion asked, Ya Rasulullah, not even jihad for the sake of Allah? And the Prophet replied, not even jihad for the sake of Allah. Unless a man goes out himself with all his possession and wealth and he does not come back with anything. That means he spends all of his wealth. Right? So these things are really very important and very dear to Allah and therefore it must be something that is important for us as well. So therefore fasting in the month of Zulhijjah has tremendous merits including fasting on the day of Arafah which is the 9th of Zulhijjah. So the Prophet said and recorded in Sahih Muslim, fasting the day of Arafah, that is the 9th of Zulhijjah, expiates, expiates, that means cleanse our sins for two years. The 
one before it and the one coming mashallah and this is sahih muslim right yeah. so if you can you're right receive what you hear that people say try to fast in this first 10 days of zulhijah yes especially on the 9th of zulhijah where the hujjaj are gathering at arafah in saudi to perform the main act of hajj which is gathering in arafah so yeah. that's the first one there, there are many things that you can do and i think i want to take this opportunity because this is the start of the month and so many people can start doing this and especially tomorrow is monday you can fast zulhijah sunnah zulhijah and you can also fast sunnah on the monday so you can get two rewards doing one act mashallah okay so in this first 10 days you are also encouraged to increase in your zikr in your remembrance of allah because you are encouraged to recite a lot of tahlil a lot of takbir a lot of tahmid and what are these things tahlil is to say la ilaha illallah there's no god but allah to say takbir is allah akbar allah is the greatest to say tahmid is alhamdulillah praises be to allah and therefore you notice in this month and during the hajj people will always say allahu akbar allahu akbar allahu akbar la ilaha illallah wallahu akbar allahu akbar walillahi alhamd is this familiar to you yeah. yeah if you watch the tv from masjid haram you hear this is a takbir that people repeat at nauseum again and again and again these are the things that you are highly encouraged to do so the zikrullah okay what you just recited is the three things that you just mentioned right yes la allahu akbar the takbir then la ilaha illallah there is the tahlil and then walillahi alham is the tahmid oh what about when you recite it in that you in, know, in that a tune musical, in a tune it's so easy yeah. you know? so, so when you start in a tune you feel like shock and you feel like you're not even like bothered to come because it's very uplifting allahu akbar allahu akbar allahu akbar especially for those who have performed the umrah or has performed the hajj it is very emotional and, and for me sometimes even when i watch the video about this people doing takbir i will cry because it brings me back to the days when i was performing my hajj or even my umrah and these are the things that you're highly encouraged to do when you are there mm. right so that's that's number two. number three, what you can do in this first 10 days of zulhijah is also to increase the recitation of the quran mm. okay you remember when i i used to say that in ramadan try to khatam the quran and finish the quran from page one to the, the last page and some people say okay i will do it some of my students will say but ustaz i don't understand so i don't see any sense in reading the quran if i don't understand it so i said okay in ramadan is just about recite, reciting it and finishing it from page one to the end but now it's beyond ramadan this 11 months is the time when you read and you read the meaning you read the arabic you read the meaning so that you know you, you don't have to rush and so in this first 10 days of zulhijah is a great time for you to read the quran reflect on it because it brings great reward to set aside some time on a daily basis maybe after fajar maybe 10 minutes or 15 minutes to just read the quran and then after that you can sleep back or you can go to school or go to work make it as part of your ritual in the morning okay i used to want to do it i used to tell myself okay i'm going to reserve maybe 15 minutes at night but then sometimes you feel so tired you sleep you forget you missed it sometimes you scroll facebook too much you see tiktok or whatever you just like oh no what, what happened to my quran right so i told myself okay i'm not going to bluff myself i'm going to reserve actually morning part before subo if i wake up enough early enough or after subo so that i can actually dedicate this 15 minutes every day and hopefully beyond this this, this month as well mm-hmm. and then because this month you don't have to rush to uh, to khatam or complete the quran you can also while reading the arabic reflect on the meaning of the quran that you understand in the language that you're most comfortable with so that hopefully it will strengthen your faith and by doing so in zulhijah in particularly in these 10 days it will strengthen your relationship with allah because these are the days that allah loves the most wow you make me okay. so excited now to recite these three you things. should i think i in think fact, uh, and... what i want to tell i want i want to tell everybody is this should have carried on since ramadan should not stop right but then allah gives us another chance okay zulhijah continue doing it after we take one or two months break we say continue doing it right shall, because shall the we next... do it shall we do it at the end of this life like at least one minute sure if you have the time i mean you are the host you can do whatever you want so you know what i do with my students actually before we start class i will ask them to memorize certain verses of the quran just to like shake and force them to kind of like read the quran engage with it so sometimes for example um they're supposed to read so i ask them to choose whatever verses they want so they they commit to it and then the next week when i come and meet them i will spend about 10 minutes we don't we don't talk i don't teach i just said okay open the quran read that chapter that you are supposed to memorize and then after every two or three weeks down the road i will check on the memorization mm. so apart from the theoretical lessons of the class we also engage with the quran and i think that is the most pinnacle of all forms of knowledge because it's direct knowledge from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the things that i'm telling you the things that other ustads are talking to you about these are all secondary knowledge derived from the basic which is the quran and hadith so why do we exclude the quran as our first source of reference so i 
I kind of like force them to engage with it by giving them time to read the Quran prior to class. You should do that also, right? Okay. So what I can suggest is try to target maybe uh, I want to memorize this surah or that surah and then uh, dedicate yourself maybe give yourself two, three weeks or maybe a month to finish depending on the length of the surah and then, you know, get someone to check and that's the most important part. Don't just memorize and say, I've, I've done it. No, it must be checked in order for the surah to be kept in your mind, in your heart. And then another tip I want to tell you is in order to entrench your memorization, after you memorize the verse, you use those verses and you use them inside your prayer. Alhamdulillah, inshallah, it will stay there forever. Okay? Okay, so viewers, all our viewers out here, yeah, maybe before Shahara Nightlife, you can also read the Quran first, maybe, inshallah. Inshallah. <laughs> 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 and, and then this leads me to another part which is in the first 10 days of Zulhijjah you should increase in your Nawafil or your Sunnah prayers okay, in particular if you have not done your Qabliya and Ba'diya the one before and after you should try to do it especially in this month and hopefully it will kick a habit in which you will still continue performing it even in other months and it becomes part of your prayers especially this one I'm quite sure because I think I find most people do not perform the Sunnah prayers before the Fajr or Subur prayers right okay don't raise your hands don't not your head because you know I don't want to know this is only for you and Allah but <laughs> what I want to say is try to perform this even though you wake up late right Sayyidina mm-hmm. uh, Aisha radiallahu anha narrated from the, the, the Prophet sallam, and he said the two rakaats of Fajr are better than this world and all that is in it and in another narration he says the Prophet mm-hmm. said the two rakaats are more believed to me than the whole world and this is in Sahih Muslim right mm-hmm. so the best is of course once you hear you, you wake up early you do tahajud and then you wait and then the azan and then you do Raka'at and then you do the subuh prayer and then that's it and then you zikir or you read the Quran or, or, or whatever but even though you wake up later than the azan but still within the period of fajar you take your wudu and perform two sunnah before fajar before you perform your fajar prayers because there is mer- there are merits in it what exactly we do not know but I can imagine if the prophet were to say that every time you perform the sunnah prayers I give you one gold bar Muslims will not be sleeping they'll be praying continuously non-stop no, but the thing is out of faith we do not know what this is but if the prophet said these are more beloved to me and these are more valuable than anything in this world in it that means it must be and in the day of judgment inshallah we will know what are the benefits of it and, and what they, would you say to the people who missed it they're not supposed uh, to miss that but okay, yeah so so it's okay in the past maybe you, you're not familiar you don't know but from tonight i mean tomorrow onwards when you wake up for fajar perform this two sunarakat and then the fajar prayer you, you start now do not belabor and be sad and think about in the past that you have not done many things all of us including myself have not done many things in the past but mm-hmm. if you want to improve let's think forward and say okay tomorrow onwards i'm going to do this 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 plan the intention plan it properly and so if you have to wake up early make sure you sleep early tonight because it's the weekend so tomorrow you can wake up early and perform all of these things that you have set out yourself because this leads to another positive thing eventually once you start doing this you want to start waking up early enough and then perform your tahajjud prayers prior to the azan and then the two sunnah prayers and then the two rakaat of uh, fajr so this is another habit that you can start to rehash and relearn and inculcate in your life i have a question about fajr prayers so what if like it's it's recommended that like you know fajr prayers like um people read really long surahs you know because like Mm -hmm. two rakas you know you want to make the most of it however what if you cannot remember the you know longer surahs so would it be permissible if a person reads a surah off their phone or would it be preferred that they read the shorter surahs that they memorized okay good question so your question seems to link with what i've been saying in the previous point so if you only memorize al-ikhlas right and imagine if you pray subo or you pray asar or zuhur the first rakat the second rakat the next prayer even you get bored with it right and imagine for those doing that his wife will say darling please read something else please memorize something else <laughs> right so i mean a human nature is such that you know it gets boring so hopefully this would spur an impetus towards memorizing further surahs, right? So that's number one. So you don't actually get stuck with one surah. I, I think generally, inshallah, by the end of a normal Muslim's lifetime, even if he doesn't memorize much, he would have memorized one quarter or one third of the Quran because as a functioning Muslim, he reads these verses 
after Suratul Fatiha. This prayer. So that's number one. Number two, if you find that this is particularly a problem for you, I mean, not just you personally, but you generally out there, the viewers, you should therefore take this opportunity in this first 10 days of Zulhijjah to target yourself and tell yourself, I am going to memorize Surah ABC for this month. And every other month after you have accomplished that, you, somebody checked you and you have confirmed it by reciting it in your prayers, you move on to another Surah, another Surah, another Surah. You don't need me to tell you, you don't need anybody to inspire you. Just your inspiration must be that you want to get closer to Allah, know exactly what He says, get it direct from the source, right? So for some people, they start from uh, maybe the last Juzu, which is Juz Amma. So it's start from Amma Yatasa'alun, Surah an naba and then they go down because it's short, they're short chapters. Whatever makes it easier for you. If you think that Al-Baqarah is too long, it, it, it kind of demoralizes you and halfway, somewhere along the way, you just stop. Okay, then don't. Nobody tells you there's no compulsion for you to memorize Al-Baqarah now. So maybe you just memorize the smaller verses so that it's easier and you can move on and on and on and on to other verses. And then maybe one year down the road, there you go to Alif Lamim. Wow. Then inshallah, when the pandemic is over, example, we all meet together for once. And then Iskandar will lead us in Maghrib. Alif Lamim. In Al-Baqarah. MashaAllah. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Yes. Right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you start small. You are motivated to keep on going and going and going because there's no rule that you must start from Al-Baqarah. No need. Mm. And when I mean small, you start with And then You start with all these three, four, nine verses because when you pray, you need them. Right? Mm. So yeah. that's how you do it. Okay. Then the third part in answering Rusi's question would be this. Sometimes in the process of memorizing, let's say you're memorizing Suratul Fajr because we're talking about Al-Fajr just now. Al-Fajr, and then you have read it and you think that you kind of memorize it and you wanted to put it in your prayer. If you have put in effort, then it is possible that when you pray, you can refer to it. Okay? But of course, the best would be to use this from your memory. But if you have tried it and then you're not sure, you can refer to it, whether by phone, by book, or you can put a musical stand in front of you, open the Quran, and then you can read it. But if you have not even tried memorizing, reading, studying Al-Baqarah, do not pray and then put Al-Baqarah in front of the music stand and read Alif Lamim Zalikan You know, trying to look at it and read and figuring it out and that is not advisable. You understand? Okay. For that, it's better for you to read Qul Huwallahu Ahad short, but you know it, right? But if you've tried to attempt studying it, memorizing it, and it's like almost 80%, 90%, and just want to make sure that you don't get stuck, okay, you can put it in front of you and you can refer. But if you have not even attempted it, you want to show off that you can read Al-Baqarah, then don't. So these are all connected. You notice the points number three, number four, reading the Quran, prayers. And then something that is connected also that you can increase doing it in the month of Ramadan is increase in your repentance, right? Naturally, the more you pray, the more you frequently ask Allah for repentance, forgiveness. We are never perfect in our deeds, in our relationship with others, as well as with Allah especially. And as I've discussed in earlier episodes, even the most perfect human being, Ya'ani Insanul Kamil, that, that is the Prophet wasallam, asked forgiveness from Allah 7200 times a day. So I won't answer this question, but you must just, I would just want you to imagine how much more forgiveness you and I require from Allah and therefore how much more we must ask from Allah. So the more the, we pray, the more we read the Quran, the more the level of asking for forgiveness is involved. And this is good in particular, especially when we are preparing to return back to Allah at any time, at any day. Allah says, everyone shall die, shall end. So we don't know when. So this is always good on a daily basis as we prepare ourselves on the day in which our soul will be taken away from us. Are there any um, specific prayers that we need to do within the month of Dhul Hijjah? Uh, is there no. any specific like way of reciting or any du'as specific to this month? No. The beautiful thing in Islam says, okay, this is, there's nothing compulsory you don't want to do, never mind. But if you want to do, you should do, these are the things that you encourage to do. And these are nothing new, nothing special. These are the things that we should do anyway, even if it's not in the month of Dhul Hijjah. But where Ibadah is concerned, there's fasting, there's Quran, there's repentance, there's prayer. So we just do it anyway, even if it's not the month of Dhul Hijjah. So in the month of Zijah, we increase it because Allah loves this and reward more. So there is nothing that is unique or special, but it's just to perform any of these deeds in a better frequency than before. And then... I think, uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry. Uh, and no, then, I thought... <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I thought brother is gonna go a question. I saw he raised his hand. But oh, okay. Who wanted to ask a question? Can just ask. Yeah. This is a chit chat. So sure. So Ustad mentioned the Sunnah prayers and acts of worship, but I was yeah. wondering if there were any that were filed for these ten days, or whether mm. that's reserved for the Eid itself. 
Okay, so good question. So anything fardu or anything that's obligatory is enshrined, and these are limited to those that's already been that's been been prescribed as fardu, right? Everything else that we need to do in addition to the far, example, the five daily prayers, fasting in the month of Ramadan, anything we need to do in in excess of this are all the sunnah. All right. Right, so there is. So remember, the basic of Islam that we must perform are just minimal. The rest depends on each of our capacity and our ability. And Allah does not judge by comparing whether I fast these ten days and you fast these ten days. No, Allah will judge according to as me. Can I afford to? Does my health uh, permit me to? And He doesn't compare this with you. And that's the beautiful thing about Islam. And this is beautiful way of life. Right. So everything else that's fardu or or, or compulsory has already been. Enshrined. That's it. The rest are all extra. So, in relation to all of this, there's also something that you might want to increase in this month of Ramadan as one of the last few points. Number one is to increase in your charity if you can. And charity does not just mean money. It can be what we are doing now, sharing Islam so others can benefit from it. And also, another important thing would be to maintain your ties of kinship. Especially in in these forms, uh, in these times of pandemic, you will know that a lot of people would need a lot of help and they are in a state of poverty or they're in a state of need. You can help them if if you have some extra or if you don't have money because some of your students you help them like do you want me to go to the market for you and buy you something anything that will help and alleviate some pain because if you alleviate some pain of someone in this world Allah would alleviate so much more of your pain in the hereafter except for helping people do the wrong thing like that and don't do that uh, don't help people do the wrong things, lah. <laughs> I mean, that one you don't need for Zulhijjah to do every day, so you can do. But you, you, you know, there's something that's beautiful about a believer. A believer who's in need will never beg as long as he is not desperate or he doesn't need to beg. So sometimes when you see beggars on the streets and you ask yourself, in terms of faith, these are quite detached from the Islamic teachings. The people who are in need, they will never beg if they are true believers and if they're strong with Allah because they only beg with Allah. And so, it, for example, let's say I need something and I'm poor, I will ask ya Allah, you know, provide me with sustenance. I will ask Allah, I will beg Allah. And then Allah will send any one of you, maybe when you pass, see me, you have an extra $10, you give me $10. You have $1, you give me $1. Allah will send his agents, other khalifas, to bring around this sustenance that I'm, I need because I ask directly from him. Okay, so when you give, try to give to people who don't beg. I, and that's those people that you assess who beg you for it are totally in a state of need. Okay, so remember when you give something to some others, the worry that we have would be if I give you, would I be sh- in short shortage of it? So they asked the Prophet, this Ya Rasulullah, if I give this, wouldn't I be impoverished due to it? The Prophet said three times, three times, he said, Bal, yes, that, Bal, yes, that, Bal, yes, that, Bal. Definitely not yes. He said, Definitely, Bal, yes, that. It will increase, it will increase, it will increase. So don't worry about your sustenance being reduced. In fact, there is a saying there's a teaching in Islam that especially in your times of need that you need rizki from Allah the times of need when you have little you should give I mean it doesn't make much sense because I don't have much and how come I'm supposed to give I'm supposed to receive no but in times of need you give so that Allah would increase and Allah will multiply manifold the rewards that you're going to get inshallah the last thing that I want to talk about because we're going to talk about in detail would be to perform the korban and with your korban meat you can benefit others who might need it so that's roughly some of the things that you can do in this first 10 days of Okay, before you go to the Korban, hmm. okay, well, maybe you can share us a bit like the history and the significance. How does it come about? For example, right? Hmm. What I understand because of Prophet Ibrahim ah. and his the sacrifice of the son, right? Ishmael. Hmm. But before okay. that, in the biblical, probably familiar with the Bible, this is, you know, Abraham. Rather similar, and, but... Yeah, rather similar, but that's the change. Or... Yeah, so so the Bible says it's uh, Isaac, which Isaac. is Ishaq. Yeah. But in the Quran, it says that it's Ishmael, the first son that was... Yeah, I thought it didn't say anything at all, right? The Quran about which son it was, but I'm not sure. It does. And I will it tell you which one. Right. And the verse. Okay, so inshallah. Okay, thank you for the question. So the story of Ain Adha originates from, as you pointed out correctly, Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. Al Adha refers to sacrifice, specifically in our case, the one in which Prophet Ibrahim was asked as a test by Allah to sacrifice his son, Prophet Ismail alayhi salam, only to be intervened and substituted by a ram or a lamb at the, at the last minute. Okay, so that's kind of the, the context behind it. So this sacrifice is depicted in the Quran. It has similarities, as you mentioned, to what is in the Bible. Though in the Quran, it was Prophet Ibrahim and Prophet Ismail while in the Bible, it refers to Prophet Ishaq or Isaac, right? So Prophet Ibrahim salam, the background was that he was childless for many years before he and Hajar were blessed with Nabi Ismail. So Nabi Ismail was 
was the first son of the second marriage. And this second marriage was to Hajar because Prophet Ibrahim was at first married to Sarah. And then with the blessing of this whole situation, Sarah also ad- after that finally became pregnant. And she eventually gave birth to Nabi Ishaq or Isaac. So first wife, second, so first Sarah, second wife, uh, Hajar. Hajar gave birth first to Nabi Ismail. Then after that, Sarah gave birth to Nabi Ishaq. And this is the most important genealogy that you need to learn if you study about prophethood. Because anything that after that came from Sarah and Ishaq gives birth to the series of, a long series of Jewish prophets, to Muslim even, all the way until Nabi Isa and Islam or Jesus. There was nothing from Nabi Ismail, but he concluded this whole genealogy by giving birth to an Arab prophet, which is Nabi Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So as you can see, maybe like in a chat form, Sarah, Hajar, Ishaq, Ismail, all the other prophets, and then at the bottom of it, it Nabi, Nabi Isa, Jesus, nothing, 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 after Jesus, pop, Nabi Muhammad, and this is from the lineage of Hajar and Nabi Ismail. So, so I, 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 I'm trying to say that, you know, uh, in this sense, like, for most of viewers are probably Muslims but if those who are not Muslims are probably Christians they are wondering how this genealogy is in their language it will be Abraham and they have Isaac and Ishmael Ishmael will be under Hajar the son of Hajar and yeah. Sarah which is the sec- the first wife who will give birth to Isaac and mm. from Isaac the whole root will come all the Jewish prophets you get Moses you get David mm. you get Solomon everyone who all of it literally all of the 25 prophets <laughs> all under that lineage yeah. And I knew the last one, which is uh, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, sallallahu alayhi wa would be under Ishmael. Correct. Correct. So, but Allah wanted to test Nabi Ibrahim. So when his son Ismail was old enough, he had a dream to sacrifice Ismail. And he, Nabi Ibrahim, had the same dream on three consecutive nights before he understood it to be a divine command of Allah and not a trick of the shaitan. So, this is important. Eh? Once he understood this, he told Ismail, oh my dear son, listen, I had a dream. For three nights, I had the same dream and I'm supposed to sacrifice you. So, what do you think? Okay, maybe Brother Elias, I'm going to ask you. What do you think your response would be if your father told you that you are to be sacrificed? <laughs> I don't know, man. Probably run away. <laughs> Probably run away. I call the police. I call the MSF. Look, my father is committing abuse and he's going to kill me. Blah, blah, blah. And none of yeah. us here in this panel will say exactly what Nabi Ismail would have said. And I'll tell you, and I want you to listen carefully to what Nabi Ismail's response was. In Surah As-Safat, chapter 37, verse 102, he said, Right? He says, Oh my father, do as you have been commanded. Satajiduni, inshaAllah, inshaAllah, you will find me one of those who are patient, one of those who are steadfast. Subhanallah. What kind of response? This only can come from someone who is a prophet or going to be a prophet when he grows up. Mm. It's not coming from any one of us. We will run away, we probably kill the, the guy first, we make police report, or we will we will make sure that he does not comply with this dream. <laughs> it's a dream. So when said, okay, I agree to be sacrificed. So they both then make their way to Mina. Uh, that's where the sacrifice was supposed to take place. So when they, they reached uh, Mount Arafah, in his hands, Nabi Ibrahim had a knife and a rope. A knife to, to, to sacrifice his son and a rope to tie him up. So Nabi Ismail asked that his hands and legs be tied to avoid struggling during the sacrifice and that his father should blindfold himself because he knew how much the father loved him, how much this is going to be difficult for him. The empathy of the guy who is going to be sacrificed. I mean, the level of example he's showing us is really immense. So as Nabi Ibrahim was about to carry on the sacrifice, and then he heard a revelation from Allah and this 104 to 106 in the same chapter, Surah As-Safat, chapter 37, Allah says, We call to him, Ya Ibrahim, you have indeed fulfilled the vision and we thus reward the doers of good. Indeed, that was a clear trial, a test for you. And so yeah. Allah replaced Nabi Ismail with a magnificent ram and willed that Nabi Ibrahim complete the intention of sacrifice and so in the end he sacrificed the ram and be smiley safe and Allah concluded by saying and we ransomed him with a great sacrifice and we left for him favorable mention among later generations so this is what we are doing we keep on repeating this story this beautiful story and Allah ends by saying salamun ana Ibrahim and peace be upon Ibrahim you know when I say this my goosebumps is it? goosebumps like yeah it goes up like this is in verse 107 to 109 so this is the event that sort of like shaped the concept of sacrifice and the story of idol Adha. So Nabi Ibrahim and Ismail successfully passed the test and this acts as a reminder of our beloved Prophet Ibrahim's dedication and devotion to serving Allah obediently. This is the Islam that Allah expects from all of us. 
So the word kurbani originates from the word kurban, which comes from the word kurb, means closeness. So to kurban is to achieve closeness. So Nabi Ibrahim AS in his willingness to sacrifice his own son Ismail demonstrated his closeness to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and in doing so, taught us all, all of us, the lesson of submission to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Right? So that's mm-hmm. the, the back end story of Aida Adha. Then who oh, should oh. actually perform the kurban? Is there like any requirements or like, you know, you need to fulfill certain things then you can perform the kurban? Okay, so are you talking like for us generally speaking? So generally speaking, yeah. as long as you have the means to do so, you can do the kurban. If you have the ability to do so, you slaughter yourself, right? But if you, uh, so if you, <laughs> if you don't have the ability, for example, just to let you know, just because I'm an, I am an ustaz doesn't mean that I can do kurban. For the first few years of my life, I couldn't do it because I went there and hold the knife and I started to cry. For a few years, whenever I do it, I started to cry because I remember this story and I feel so sad or, or I feel so happy or whatever. But the point is, I was crying and I pity the animal. And so you, I don't do it. Right? It's only in my later years that I toughen up and all that, you know, I, I, I begin to understand a little bit more the implications of it so then I could do it without feeling pity for the animal, right? Mm. So, and, and for most of us Singaporeans, for example, we do our kurban overseas so we don't get the chance to kurban our own animals. But if you do it in Singapore, I mean, this year we don't have it. If you want, you are given a choice. If you go for the occasion itself, they might ask whether you want to do it. If you think you have the courage, you should do it. Mm. Bismillah, and then you just, you know. But if you think that you feel sad or you feel pitiful, then you just let them do it and you just watch on the side, right? So kurban is not simply the slaughtering of animal and distribution of its meat. It is more than a commemorative ritual. So I know like Iskandar used to ask, why do we do animal sacrifices? Isn't this like a paganistic and old way of serving the gods? Yeah. Right, Iskandar? You wrote that before, right? In yeah, sutra. like, yeah, why? Uh, right. Yeah. Why does Allah require blood sacrifice, right? That, that yeah. was a kind of a question. Yeah. That's a good question because if you look at it superficially, like, yeah, it looks like the kind of sacrifice that they used to do pre-Islamic days. But then the significance is slightly different. As you mentioned earlier, Qurban and the purpose of it is to draw near to Allah. So through Qurban, we reaffirm that sometimes we forgot in the hasan and basal of our everyday lives, we do not completely submit to Allah and we are willing to sacrifice whatever is asked for us to be close to Him, uh, just as Prophet Ibrahim did. Thus, an important part of Qurban is remembering to hold on to our sincere intentions and striving to be closer to Allah through this symbolic sacrifice. And let me just bring you a little bit about the story of Qurban. Usually, people just talk about Nabi Ibrahim, but I, ca- I can bring you all the way back to the first stories. Earlier in history, we also came through another instructive story about sacrifice. Anyone mm-hmm. want to share any idea? Before uh, first stories. Mm-hmm. Allah tells us in the Quran the story of the two sons of Nabi Adam alayhi salam. What's the name? Abel and Cain. Uh, Cain and Abel. In Islam, <laughs> Kabil and Kabil. Kabil and Kabil. Right? So, so to cut the story short, to resolve the difference between them, Nabi Adam asked them to make a sacrifice and whoever Allah prefers will be the clear winner. Right? And this with regards to the woman that they, they like. Right? So since Habil was a shepherd, so he offered a ram to be sacrificed. Kabil tilled the land, so he offered some produce grown from the land, right? So it is understood that from the stories that we know that Habil took care to select the best of animal on one which was healthy, well-fed, whereas Kabil wasn't willing to offer the best of his produce. So in the end, Allah accepted Habil's sacrifice, sending it to heaven and then rejected Kabil's sacrifice, right? So Habil explained to his brother that Allah only accepts sacrifice from those who have taqwa and sincerity. Uh, Kabil had clearly not made that kind of sacrifice and Allah is aware of that. However, Kabil became jealous of the way Habil had been favored and he killed his brother and the rest as we know it is history right so that story of Habil and Kabil illustrates that sincerity and purity of intention are the most important part of the korban so it's not about sacrificing the animal part of this is selecting a worthy sacrifice as Habil did well treated and you know so when we look at the requirement of a sheep or a cow that's meant to be sacrificed for korban these are some of the requirements that we must have before it can qualify as a korban animal right it's also about understanding that like zakat korbani is not an annual task or tax that you should do like a tick off list on a daily basis right so sometimes in singapore i don't know about in your parts of the world but in singapore i mean korban to them is not ex- that expensive so i have students who just do it just without thought that okay this year i pay this amount okay do it for me i pay that amount and they just do it every year until it loses its significance it should not be until it loses the significance you must be involved in the process right so coming back to the story of nabi ibrahim salam and nabi ismail we, he also faced distraction in complying with the commands of Allah. And sometimes these distractions comes in the fact that you take things for granted and just it's just money and you pay and then people do things for you. You remember the story, he stoned the shaitan three times, right? And in other narrations, shaitan appeared separately to Nabi Ibrahim, Hajar and Ismail. And each time he tried to convince them that Ibrahim was about to commit a serious crime of 
of killing his own son. Each time they attest that it was from Allah, they must accept it. Each time, shaitan was stoned. And this you can find in hadith narrated by Tabari and Hakim. Right? So Prophet Ibrahim salam sacrificed a ram instead of his son and like the stoning of the pillars at Jamrah, which is the days of Tashrik, which we are forbidden to fast because this is to celebrate them releasing themselves from their past sins. We remember this sacrifice every year during Hajj. Remembering the journey every time we do Qurban should bring us closer to Allah. That's the essence of the word of Qurban. And again, it is not the animal that matters, but our willingness to submit wholeheartedly to Allah. And this is mentioned in Suratul Hajj, chapter 22, verse 37. Allah says, uh, Their meat or their blood will not reach Allah. Right? What reaches Allah is the piety of you all. Taqwa minkum. This act of Qurban is not about the sacrifice. It is about you accompanying with your sincerity and your taqwa. That is the thing that Allah accepts because the meat will be distributed anyway. But you'll be rewarded in any case, right? Because in Sunan Tirmizi, the Prophet said, every hair of the Qurbani, you will receive a reward. And every strand of his wool, you receive a reward. Subhanallah. The reward is great. And it's been said that on the day of judgment, when everybody is waiting for our turn to be judged, and while the sun is just like this distance from our head, so we're all sweating profusely. Some of us are even drowned with our own sweat. If your Qurban is accepted by Allah, then you will rest on your Qurban. Let's say if you Qurban a, a sheep, you will sit on the sheep where well, everybody just have to stand on their own two feet. If you if you Qurban a, a camel, you sit on a camel. If you Qurban a sheep every year and it's accepted, then the sheep gets stacked. And you know, literally the whole idea that you be you can rest and you be safe from the drowning of perspiration. She so, did Qurban before. Who? Me. Where? One of the mosques in Singapore. Oh, okay. So how was the experience? I was part of the skinning section. Wow. <laughs> you yeah. you even like, wow, okay, mashallah. Okay. So, yeah. so and then? Uh, wow, how, okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. 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 I share this side, side track, right? <laughs> side track. The experience no, it's not. Was, I think it's a useful experience to share. We have different sections of the parts to do. There'll be one part where they actually, I mean, like, you know, have to slit the throat lah, to mm-hmm. let the blood uh, clear from the animal. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, there's a skinning part and then there's also the part where they start to put it into different pieces so that they can start to distribute to the poor. I yeah. think the mm-hmm. most significant part wasn't the, the part where you do the, the work. It's more like during the whole process, right, you know you're doing this to help the poor by giving them food. Yeah. And uh, it's hard work also because it's not easy to handle animals one at a time and there's so yeah. many, you know. With mercy, and, yeah, importantly. With mercy. Yeah. And you know, okay, it's a bit gross maybe for some, but when you're skinning an animal, right, the body is still warm, <laughs> right? Yeah. And the connection you have with nature and, you know, you're doing it, it's like a very profound kind of feeling. Uh, you know, this animal he itself was sacrificing its life yes. to feed the poor. So not right. only you are doing it, but the animal is also doing it as a sacrifice for Allah. So like right. all of us are submitting to the will of Allah. Not only the person is doing the, the work, but the animal itself is submitting its life to yeah. Allah and all comes together as a purified kind of ritual. Yeah. So especially so, the guys, you if you have yeah. the chance to volunteer at the mosque, if you cannot do the slaughtering, never mind, go to the part where you cut the meat and you put it in the plastic bags to distribute to the poor. You know, at least once in a lifetime because it is a very life-transforming kind of experience. And after that, four weeks, you smell like the animal, just to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You need yeah. some time for the smell to go away. No problem yeah. for me. I always like I... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I, I I don't know in Singapore if you want to volunteer for such things they will actually train you they will teach you what are the the rulings and all that so that you are familiar and there's always going to be a senior person with you so that if you're not sure they will always guide you so yeah don't let the fact that you don't know what to do uh, stop you from volunteering and helping with the process there will there will always be preparation for it inshallah uh, we, we see girls so they volunteer you know when I was in this country doing my volunteer the females will be the one that will be cutting the meat in smaller portions putting them in plastic bags so that they can then distribute it to the poor. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know whether you can take it or not. You can take it or not? Please, uh, seeing blood and all that, cutting raw meat. I, I think I, I, I don't want to, okay, I think so, but like, I don't know, like yeah. in real life it would be kind of like different because like it would be a different texture, right? Like in, in yeah. theory, I don't think it would be that bad, but um, you know, <laughs> is it any different than like cutting I, I think maybe, raw chicken maybe or something? Maybe what you can like, do I don't is... Know, I have no idea. But I think... 
Right. What you can do is in for the maybe one two years, you just watch how people do it, so that you kind of gather some form of courage, and then maybe in the third year or whatever, it's okay. I want to do this. I want to try it out. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you so if about, you want yeah, to. For sure. Mm-hmm. So what about vegan? Yeah, I used to not understand. Okay, what is it? Please go. I, I'm, oh, um, I'll ask oh, in a I was moment. Say, I, I used to not understand korban. You know, like why why do we need to sacrifice a lamb? Isn't that like barbaric? But like now that like you know we have this conversation about like why it's being done, and it actually is like a deeper connection to nature because then again like people we eat meat all the time like people go to mcdonald's get chicken nuggets yeah. and th- you like, don't question that <laughs> like without any acknowledge without any acknowledgement yeah. that it's like a real like living thing you know and right. like yeah. because of that like where's the humanity with meat people think like korban is like more barbaric but in reality mm. it's probably like the processed meat in the like animal factory that is more barbaric because yeah. korban is like more like you know first of all it's the quickest method and it's like the swiftest like yeah. cut to minimize the animal pain as well and and it's also like it feeds like the poor also and it's very very like a community thing like you said, like mm. one person skins one person cuts and like everyone works together in order to like work for allah so that's like a really beautiful way to put it because um previously i never under really understood but now i do which is really helpful alhamdulillah see the, alhamdulillah. the thing is when people say that this is barbaric it's because they don't see what happens in the factories all they see is just it's nicely packed in the supermarkets and they just buy like and they pay premiums for it eh, you know and this this great and you're right i mean when you slaughter the animal the islamic way it's actually the the least painful pain being inflicted upon the animal because the korban when we we do it we sacrifice it for a specific purpose minimum bismillah in the name of allah so we cut it for the sake of allah but we cut it at the juggler vein so if you remember Remember many weeks ago, we talk about the juggler vein. Allah is closest, closer to you than that. Because juggler vein is the one that sends information that you are in pain. When you cut this off and then you see the blood spotting out, so it cannot send the information that is in pain. So the animal, although it is jerking, and there's a normal body reaction because of that cutting off, but it does not feel anything. It's in fact even more humane than being shot. Like if you, you stun gun the animal, that what happens in the factories as well. Right, and you're right. So science has actually proven that this is the most humane way of consuming the food. That's why you notice that. Okay, maybe for Daos, I want to ask you: when you were skinning it after the blood has been drained, the meat of the animal is actually just white, right? Yes, there's no. Yeah, really, it's clean. Not like you don't see like a lot of blood flowing when you skin already. Yeah, because the so, blood is so, gone already. So the stress of the animal yeah. actually is not uh manifested. If the animal is stressed, then you will see the blood all you know is all over the meat still when you're cutting it off, right? So the bodily functions prove it as well. Apart from this, uh, from science i mean you can read a lot of literatures on this and so yeah that's why this is the way in which islam enjoins when you want to slaughter an animal because if the animal is not stressed it dies peacefully knowing that it is done in the service of allah and when you eat the meat you become i mean it's a healthier meat to eat than stressed meat so that's why when you want to do korban especially lately i think we'll see that the way in which this has been done has been improved so you don't let one animal see another animal being slaughtered otherwise they feel like oh my god it's my turn next you know that sort of thing yeah so imagine putting yourself in that position so in the past i know it's just like just on the spot everything just happens on the same space but now we have educated the community and you know it's really nice there's section per section and you cannot see the other section so mashallah i think it's getting better alhamdulillah so, so i have a question about yes yeah. i asked a question about how vegan muslims deal with this but i also had a, an additional question because that's related to this because <coughs> in europe there's a debate and they're trying to ban halal slaughter because they say it's inhumane mm-hmm. so they only allow stun guns or other means of you know stun slaughter yeah so because of this many muslims have decided not to eat meat because the possibility that the animal dies during the stunning process is, yeah. is there so they say okay we become vegan now so but how do you reconcile that veganness with qurban Okay. Yeah, good question. A difficult question also because, uh, you know, yeah, I will tell you one thing. Like, whatever we do, however science explain, they will not accept it just because this is an Islamic way of dealing with it. There's just that first prejudice that's there. But if you were to look at it carefully from a scientific point of view or a humanity point of view, it's, it's clear, right? This is the best way. So that's, that's point number one. Number two, but because of all this bad press, they arise within the community and within the society as well, uh, you know, eat vegan, be vegetarian and all that. So this, this comes about. And so I'm not sure what the answer to that question would be. But then when I look at the many instructional teachings in the Quran and the Hadith, I realize that Islam actually addresses the issue 
issue with meat and the issue with vegetation and all that. So my point is, if you all go vegan or if you all go vegetarian and we don't consume any meat at all, then why did Allah spend so much effort and why did the ruling of it been so developed to address the issue of how and the rulings and how do we cut and how do we make sure the knives are, are, are super sharp and it doesn't inflict extra pain that is necessary. Why all this development if the Muslims' lives, we are not meant to eat meat. And you have like certain, certain verses and certain hadith in the, in the Quran and the verses of the uh, hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, which talks about every of these created animals are meant to serve mankind in terms of food or in terms of transport, in terms of the wool or the skin and all that. So again, then it begs the question, if it's not meant to be, then why did Allah spend so much time addressing issues like that? That is something I think that's open for all of us to, to explore. Uh, I would not say whether it is permissible or not, because it's grey but I have my own opinions about what it is uh, I, I still eat meat right yeah okay so that's me too that's how so, <laughs> so that's how I would have answered it yeah. thank you thank I think you. also because Islam is a worldview right it's in the sense that it's meant for humanity around the world so right. many people you can't ask everybody to be vegan overnight the whole world it's going to be hard yeah that's why I'm, I'm not I'm not sure I wouldn't say exactly yes or no I'm not an expert in it but I think from my understanding of the faith Allah spends quite a long time dealing with this there must be a purpose and you know you know in islam the, the most basic point of ruling would be if there is no explicit prohibition on a certain thing then it is permissible right so so far we have not find prohibition with regards to eating meat and so i'm sure that is not however like many and all things that is in islam eating meat in moderation and therefore eating sufficient vegeta vegetables in moderation these are all the best ways that we should follow rather than just going to extremes Thank you, thank you. So, is there any other question maybe from the floor or whatever? Or how do you celebrate Heraya? <laughs> yeah, what, what are the things other than Qurban on the day of Idul Adha? Or is that like the... Okay. The main thing to do on the day itself. Okay. So for Eid Adha, I mean, it marks the end of Hajj, the five-day pilgrimage. All able-bodied Muslims, if they have the ability and capability, must prioritize in performing it. So because the Hajj is meant to cleanse the soul of sins and instill a sense of equality, brotherhood, or sisterhood, right? However, this year Saudi announced that it will have a very limited Hajj of only about I think sixty thousand, and they all must be locals and they must be vaccinated. Okay. So you will start the day even. Even though you're not performing Hajj, like even though you're not going to the mosque, you start the day by performing Sunnah Gusul, the, the, sh the, the shower, the Islamic shower, the obligatory shower. The same shower can be an obligatory one because of certain condition and for other conditions, it can be Sunnah. So you just go to the shower and say, Ya Allah, I intend to take Sunnah Gusul because I'm celebrating Eid Adha today and then you shower. Okay, and then if you are fortunate, you perform the Eid prayers. But this year, however, mosque again limits the numbers of attendees and large congregations will be banned because of the coronavirus pandemic. Occasion is marked after that by the sacrifice of the animal at the mosque but this year like I mentioned in Singapore we don't even do it do that we do it in Australia or in other parts of the world the animal sacrifice comes with an element of charity as the person paying for the sacrifice is required to distribute part of it to others traditionally people used to say you need to divide the meat into three portions okay yourself number one your immediate uh, yourself or your immediate family number two your neighbors your friends or your extended family number three for the poor but generally as long as you reserve some of it for yourself and some of it you give to the poor is fine and the prophet and how much to reserve for yourself the prophet used to say in hadith as long as you are able to sustain three days of consumption so not too much not too little okay so muslims traditionally dress in fine clothes in the celebration of Eid in addition to exchange of gifts so this, this is something which i am very very crazy about you know during christmas we have this whole big tradition of exchanging gifts right like it's a big thing like you put under the christmas tree or you exchange or whatever but haraya no, nobody exchange gifts why not because yeah. the islamic tradition is that you need to exchange gifts it's part of faith the prophet encouraged you to do that don't limit the exchanging of gifts just to christmas as you know that becomes a very commercial enterprise uh, it is also something that is highly encouraged in islam and we are not talking about buying massive impressive gifts you know we're just talking about something to exchange so that you see that i'm thinking of you i'm i'm partaking some part of my wealth just to give you even if it's a ten dollars gift you know sometimes families we just say like okay so the gifts this year we limit to $10 or $20 so just buy whatever that's below $20 for example so just buy within those budgets it's not really something that you need to impress someone else but it's just as a thought that you send forward to someone so buying gifts wearing nice clothes sitting around for most of us staying at home we are encouraged to reflect on the lessons 
of the sacrifices of Nabi Ibrahim and Ismail that we talk about today. Importantly, strengthen the family bonds, eat together because I know in these times we rarely eat together. We are busy with work and all that so we don't come back at the same time. So for eat, it's good to have your breakfast or your lunch together and because especially there's nice food that you know your wife or your mom has cooked. Us talk to each other, ask about each other's welfare, how they're doing at work and life generally speaking, which we usually don't have the time to do so. Even if part of family are not Muslims, it's important, right? When talk about family, it doesn't matter whether they're, they're Muslims or non-Muslims, it's, it's the same. We must treat them with equal form of respect, right? Most importantly, increase our zikrullah and perform takbir regularly. So that's why after each of your prayer, if you can, you recite the takbir that I recited just now. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Walillahi alhamd. Right? If you do not know the script, just go Google. You do not know the tune, don't have to sing with that same tune. Or if you want, go to YouTube and just listen to how they do it and you can practice together along with it. So usually what we do is after every prayer, we will recite this takbir more than even the, the other zikir. So this takbir first and then we do the other zikir. For three, so hair raya itself and for three consecutive days after that. So four days. It ends on the third day after that by asar. Yeah, so roughly that's that's about it okay. uh, that we do during during it. And how will you do it in Canada or in the Netherlands? Actually, this year uh, is uh, special because of the mm. restrictions, COVID, right? Yeah. But we actually, I had a friend group with a few Chinese Muslims and uh, we were going to have lunch together. But first mm. in the mornings, we are going to the mosque and then uh, we come together. We try to celebrate it, I guess, Good. because they, they are also alone, right? They don't have the yeah. families here. So you form your own community. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Alhamdulillah. So inshallah, mm. with the blessings of Allah, this community will grow more and more and more. Inshallah. 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 I mean, <laughs> I mean, how is it in Canada? Oh, it's hard to say because I converted in the March when COVID happened. So I haven't yeah. really like celebrated Eid with people, like like okay. like legitimately like, with, a, with a group of people or anything, yeah. um, just yeah. because of how like heavy quarantine is here. Right. But you know, inshallah, in the future, I will know what it's like. So can I recommend something, Riza? Because you're the only Muslim and now you're, you're moving, you move back to your family, right? Um, no, I'm, I'm moving. I'm like, I'm only visiting my family, but I'm going oh. back to yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, so mm -hmm. maybe if you, will you be celebrating Eid, it's I think 20th of July next week. Are you going to be with a family still or going home? Uh, no, I'm going to be going back to Toronto. I'll be alone. <laughs> so then you take charge. You're going to be alone. So what you do is you do marketing and then you cook some really nice dishes. You Google and then look at some festival, uh, festive Islamic dishes. And then you invite your neighbors or if you cannot gather, I don't know how strong is the lockdown in Canada at this point. You can even cook and then you give of this cook food to your neighbors and that that would be a good way of celebrating eat even though you're alone mm -hmm. makes you sense know, I, I just live in a place so i don't know my neighbors yet so yeah that's how you get to know your neighbors <laughs> that's yeah. True. yeah i mean i mean when i was living in the u.s that's the thing that i do i cook and then people just smell my food and like what are you doing like i know you want to eat come in you know like you know and then i start like whenever i cook fried rice just fried rice asian fried rice i call them and they will lap it up my whole kitchen will be clean you know they even volunteer <laughs> to wash because like wow this is so delicious to me like dude this is what we eat almost every day <laughs> we're kind of like blasé about it you know mm. so if food brings people together and it'd be a good occasion for you to be able to know who your neighbors are especially when you're alone and then it gives another added impetus because they realize that hey you're a muslim so wow i have a muslim neighbor and the mark that you are a good muslim would be even your non-muslim neighbors will find security the fact that they have you as a neighbor so that's something that you know even if you have no one to celebrate with celebrate with your neighbor yeah i mean a suggestion maybe mm. but, or if you're still with your parents you can just cook hey today i'm gonna cook then you'll be wondering what what are you why what's up with you why are you dreaming of cooking then you ex you do your da'wah actually today is the celebration of sacrifice in other parts of the world people perform the hajj in Makkah, but we don't here so, so i'm doing this to celebrate with you my family the one that i love and then it's like mm, my daughter <laughs> <laughs> you know that kind of thing <laughs> score point Send virtual koban virtual koban <laughs> and then fridaus you can cook your you can cook lah and impress your parents Invite them over. Invite me over. <laughs> and Ilyas also. <laughs> inshallah, inshallah. Actually, actually, can we can, can we celebrate other like holidays like Chinese New Year? Is that allowed? As long as it is not a celebration of a deity of uh you know of some prayers and all that. I mean, why not? Oh, With no intention of worshiping yeah. other than God, or you're not yeah. idolizing some iconic religious statues or whatever. Go ahead. Nice. Yeah, it's not a religious thing. 
It's a culture. Yeah, for, for some Chinese people, it is, right? To get away that mythological beast. It's called the year beast. And they do fireworks and loud music to scare it away. So that's kind of religious. Okay, maybe don't partake in that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Just, just, okay, just since you, since the beginning of this session, you've been talking about food, you being the lover of meat, why don't you just focus to your friends and your relatives or whatever about the eating part? Celebrate. So much pork though. Oh, okay. <laughs> then then you volunteer cooking a, yeah. a dish or two so that you eat what you cook. Right, right, right. You know? Sheep, so right. so in yeah. a sense, you are doing a few things, although they have different faith, different religion, and they are your family, your relatives. You can build bonds over food, not about the right. all those stuff that you're not supposed to do, but you know, exactly. it's about yeah, food. Yeah, yeah. So there's more qualitative time. But usually yeah. the, the heart of Chinese New Year is reunion. Uh. It's just about gathering with the family and building true, bonds. True. Yeah. Not true. not the yeah, not the other parts. <laughs> like I said, I mean it's nothing wrong with you spending time with the family to celebrate something as long as it doesn't negate your faith. It doesn't involve you worshipping something else or in the spirit of worshipping something else. Yeah, we got so, a question uh, from the floor. Yeah. I think it's a question about heard from one Korban can cover for one whole family. So it depends. So generally if you the general position is if you Korban a sheep that is good for one person. So if you want to Korban three sheep you can put three names. But if you want to Korban a cow for example because it is expensive and it's bigger you can maximize it by inserting a maximum of seven names. So that's the oh. general position. However, I also have come across a situation where in poorer countries, no one can afford a sheep nor can they combine together and afford a, a cow because they just barely need to survive. So what I know of in particular this village in Indonesia, they have one kampung and then they will sacrifice three or four sheep and then the, the mosque will collect money and whatever you can afford, you just combine that pool of money and then they buy how many sheep and then it is in all of your name. So in a situation where you cannot afford it, you have no ability, then I know of this concept where you just buy one and then you divide the meat into everyone in the village. If you get the sheep because you pull your money together to buy one sheep, right? So so like I said, there is Islam is not something that is forcing you to do things and it's not something compulsory. It's just done in the right spirit to commemorate a few, some things in history that we talked about earlier on. And if you can't afford it, there's also, there are other ways in which you can make up for it. And if you are not able to do so, maybe in the period of pandemic, like you have no job and you can pull together some of you you can share a sheep and then you know the point is if you follow strictly for the ruling maybe some people will say it's, it's not it's not accepted but don't be discouraged by that because that's all you have if that's that's the case leave the acceptance to Allah because that's Allah's job so yeah don't worry about it Wallahu okay. Allah. Yeah. Wallahu. I think there's no more actually I checked the whole stream no more, life, well, no so more. Why today is actually uh, but very direct uh, no they, 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 they like it they say wow they love this one this person was saying like they enjoy this discussion uh, new subscriber already watched couple of previous shows addicted to this kind of peaceful discussion keep up the good work brothers and sisters alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. this is why if you notice <laughs> if you notice my my instagram or my facebook i you know after i give the information i have very cute hashtags i said no show offs no keyboard warriors uh, uh <laughs> what else Fridos? no yeah. argument whatever no whatever argument. just peaceful islam peace and love <laughs> People yeah. argue about things sometimes they don't even know what they're talking about, like, you know, and then that's that's a big problem. And Islam is a religion of peace. And if you don't even carry peace with you in the way that you share about the faith, then you're not doing the faith any justice. So we must learn more adapt to be able to benefit some barakah or blessings in this. And also, there's also another thing I find very prevalent. Maybe I talk about it now. I noticed that, you know, you know that everything that we do will be accountable for on the day of judgment, right? And so we want to make sure that we, you know, our, our prayers, our fasting, our Quran will will never be enough for us to guarantee that place, right? Mm -hmm. So you must learn how to restrain, right? Sometimes in the comments that we make to our friends and sometimes, oh my goodness, I'm quite shocked that like sometimes in religious conversations like this, they are the same people who make negative comments, who find faults and then who do thumbs down and all that. Like, dude, if there's nothing good to say, just don't say it. If you're not happy with it, don't watch this. Simple. Yeah. I mean, I want to treat all of us like adults, but sometimes some Muslims, the heart is so corrupted that you can't speak like adults and you don't understand. So what I'm saying is, if you if this benefits you, share it, share the knowledge, let your families watch it so that they can benefit as well. If you don't like it and you, you can find some other better ones, go ahead. This is free service, right? We are doing free service to ourselves for Allah. And if you are going to be judgmental and you're going to make all these comments and thumbs down here, thumbs down there, at least in this free service, 
service give us some encouragement so that we can, you know, do better, right? Uh, we are not sure. perfect, right? But if you come with a heart that is dark, then everything that you see is dark and mashallah, may Allah gives you light. That's what I want to say. I mean, not only about this program, but any other things in life. I mean, we have the benefit of anonymity in social media, but we need to be responsible because although nobody knows who we are and the kind of criticisms we put online, angels write it down. We have to answer to Allah on the day of judgment. We have to be very careful what we put out there. So just take this, right? Take whatever. I'm not perfect. Firdaus uh, is not perfect. Iskandar, Rishi, Ilyas, uh, you're not perfect. We're just trying our best, you know, and there will be mistakes. So what we, what, what I want to say would be, you know, if you see anything, just take the good part of it. If there's nothing good, then leave it, you know, but don't, don't kill others along the way. The world is hard enough. I think there's okay. some electric interference when you talk the last two sentences at least. Oh, like, okay. But I think the main point. <laughs> oh, I think it's your mic. Maybe the thing, a jack or something. I don't know. It's like a Okay. Like I say, even the technology is not perfect. Only Allah is perfect. <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And as you notice, uh, we don't have a professional studio. <laughs> All of us are doing, doing this at our home table. <laughs> you know? Uh, that that library is what I wish my house to look like. But no, I don't have that enough, that many books. You know, so this is my fantasies. We're just trying our best. Lah. Let's let's put it this way. You know, so yeah. may Allah help all of us and may Allah Inshallah. help us to improve whatever that we do and may you be more forgiving as a result of that, inshallah. Yeah, I, th I think tonight's session has been super beneficial, uh, at least for me, lah, okay? For Wait, me. hold on. I just want to say, uh, okay. we talk yeah. about the first 10 days of Zulhijjah, we talk about fasting the day of Arafah. So the minimum I want you to take away is to try and evaluate what you can do, what you're able to do, and then choose them and then start doing them. And if you do them, then it is good for you because, you know, then on the day of judgment, you will not be accountable for what you have learned but you didn't do, right? It will be something that will be on the weight of judgment, which is the good part because you, out of learning 10 points, you pick up one. Okay, this one I think I can manage and you, you start doing it and you get inspired because you want to be close to Allah of the fact of the korban and being close to Allah and you do, you benefit, mashallah, right? If it at all, your takeaway is just do something about it, mashallah. Thank you so much, Ustad, for tonight's session and I think I benefited a lot. We learned a lot of new things, knowledge as well. Clear, clarify some misunderstandings or misconceptions yeah, yeah. about what today this festival is all about. So uh, I think for tonight, let's sum up. How about we do the takbir one like for, for like one sentence at least? You you lead lah, then we follow behind. You know, usually <laughs> you like impromptu stuff. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I think it's it's quite good to have this spiritual experience. Those who are online now, they can feel it also. Okay. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. La ilaha illallah Wallahu akbar Allahu akbar Walillahi alhamd Allahu akbar Allahu akbar Allahu akbar La ilaha illallah Allahu akbar Allahu Akbar Alhamdulillah So you repeat this, repeat this, repeat this Of course there's the chorus part in the middle somewhere After that you can google But inshallah Even though you know this encouraged in the month of Zulhijjah You know it's takbir It's glorifying Allah If you are free in the MRT, in the train When you're going to work Rather than listening to TikTok music or whatever On the Quran and read together with it Or, or download this takbir and then in your in your heart just imagine while you're doing this and then Allah decides that your soul should be taken you are in a state of glorifying Allah subhanallah that is the best way to go sorry my my voice is not so nice <laughs> no, 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 no. there's so many people who's but even though your voice is not nice remember this Allah does not judge by how beautiful your voice is Allah judge by how your heart beautifully sends it to him subhanallah mm. Hey, I tell you, Islam is beautiful. 
whatever humans judge, Allah doesn't judge that way. So let's uh, conclude tonight, and we'll see you next episode. Be a revert story. We'll share more about it online. Just check our socials that we post up on the next episode. And uh, finally, to so end, maybe, don't know, maybe you can clarify what we do is one week revert story, another week is content, then revert story, then content, so that you know you have a balance of both things. Yes, stay safe, everyone. Let's pray that this pandemic be over soon and forever. While our brothers and sisters are going through hard times in this moment of lockdown. Down, may Allah ease their affairs and may Allah open up ways for them in, in, in ways that they will never they can never imagine because Allah has the power to do that and with the dua of everyone in your faith in Allah inshallah Allah will lift this test up away from us inshallah and you place it with something better okay. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashadu ala ilaha ila anta astaghfiruka wa atubi ilai Bismillahirrahmanirrahim wal'asq inna insana lafi khusr ila alladhina amanu wa amnu salihati wa tawasabil haqqi wa tawasabil sabar Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh Waalaikumsalam warahmatullahi wabarakatuh Good night everyone Assalamualaikum